0: Welcome to South London Hardcore. I'm Jack McInroy. This is Steve Walsh. Hello. This week is the second meeting of the South London Book Club, SLBC, which is just you and me, Steve. And we'll be discussing Lucky Jim and Mad Frank. Lucky Jim is Kingsley Ames' 1954 comic novel, the first campus novel, and Mad Frank, memoirs of a life of crime. The autobiography of Mad Frankie Fraser, as told to James Morton.
1: As you say, it's only me and you in the book club at the moment mm. at the start of any of these sessions. But, of course, we'd always encourage people to read these books and have a chat with us about them Or if you've read them already. I mean, I don't know if I'd encourage people to read these books. But <laughs> if you happen to have read them, maybe get back to us and let us know what you think about them.
0: Yeah, we're on Twitter at slhc, facebook.com slash Hardcore, Or even if you want to send us an email, as people occasionally do, Hardcore at gmail.com. And obviously, if you want to buy either of these books from Amazon, the way to do it is to go to SouthLondonHardcore.com and click the Amazon link, and then we'll get a little percentage of what you buy. And we'll give you a free South London Hardcore badge. We'll also give you a South London Hardcore badge if you buy a t-shirt from SouthLondonHardcore.spreadshirt.co.uk. And from the 27th of August to the 2nd of September, there's 15% off t-shirts using the code shirts 152 and finally, we'll also give you a badge if you sign up for an Amazon Prime trial using the link on SouthLondonHardcore.com. If you could, you'll be supporting the show greatly. So Kingsley Amos was born in Clapham and raised in Norbury.
1: Yeah, he's well South London, which I'd never imagined um, about him before.
0: No, I mean, Martin Amos, his son, for example, was born in Oxford. He was uh, a professor at Oxford, was he? King's Amos? Yeah.
1: Uh, I don't know. I'd imagine so. Yeah, he was in academia as well. So, yeah, I mean, was.
0: he kind of moved away from South London, certainly. But, yeah, I mean, a full on South Londoner.
1: Yeah, it doesn't seem to look upon the place of any real affection, though. It doesn't seem to have influenced his writing in any way. It's not something that is relevant, really, to the work.
0: Not it, certainly not this book, no. No. Have you no. read any of his other books?
1: Yeah, I read a few. I'd, I'd read um, a fair bit a while ago. Um, I read Lucky Jim. At the time, and really enjoyed it, so I read a couple of other things. My favourite of his that I read was a book called The Alteration, which, um, yeah, yeah, King David's probably best known for his comic novels, but he also had a a sort of line of of genre pieces, sort of sci fi um, alternate history pieces. The Alterations, fantastic. Um, It's set in a world where the Reformation never happens. Martin Luther becomes reconciled with the Catholic Church and becomes Pope so history it sort of changed that point so you, you end up in the 1970s in Britain um, and, and there's a cold war but it's between the Christian world and the Muslim world which is the sort of Ottoman Empire which has survived um, there's no science and there's various sort of things no like science no science imagine a world about science <laughs> um, and, and the sort of central uh, story is about a, a chorister who uh, what's a chorister It's someone who sings in a choir um, oh, and right, right. the boy's got a lovely voice and the church decides that his voice is so uh, perfect that it can't be ruined so they order him to be crash- castrated oh, right. which is one of the alterations of the, of the title but it's a fantastic book really sort of interesting look at um, an alternate history um, and, and quite sort of compassionate and, and interesting
0: but we're not there to talk about that Steve we're no. talking about Lucky Jim uh, Jim Dixon a, what would you call him he's a
1: professor he's a junior professor yeah in, like a, yeah in the history department yeah yeah it's a book I read as I say ages ago and really enjoyed it so when we decided we were going to talk about King James, I was like let's do Lucky Jim it'll be just like really quick read loads of fun yeah I mean um,
0: who's the guy one of the big names in literature Steve I can't remember who now called it the best the funniest novel of the second half of the 20th century yeah I
1: mean Toby Young yeah not him no no yeah because he's not a heavyweight he's he's a bad man he he called it the best comic novel of the 20th century which means he's putting it above Cold Comfort Farm A Confederacy of Dunces The Third Policeman Scoop and everything ever written by P.G. Woodhouse so that and, can't be right, can't be. the it? other books. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, as you say, it's essentially it's about Jim Dixon who finds himself struggling um, while working at the history department and unnamed university, believed to be based on the University of Leicester, where um, King James and Philip Larkin was, was a, a professor. Yeah, he dedicates it to Philip Larkin. Yeah, and it's, it's like... very much based on, you know, the idea is that Jim Dixon is a, a sort of standing for Philip Larkin, and a lot of the characters and our people, or caricatures of people that Larkin worked alongside. And and it's basically this guy who's struggling to ensure that he's got tenure for the next year at the university, and uh, doesn't get on with his colleagues, and then gets caught up in a sort of romantic scrape with this girl who and has a rival in the boyfriend that she's got at the time, and it's so it's very sort of yeah. You know, there's a lot of sort of comic tropes there, but um, and as I, say, I remember reading it, and find it really funny. But I didn't find it that no. funny this time round. No, that was the
0: problem I had. Really, it's a, it's a comic novel, but I was not laughing at no, all. No, well, there were a couple of bits where I raised a smile. You know, he thinks a guy's wearing a, a badge and it's a piece of egg. Yeah quite yeah. amusing but yeah there's moments isn't there yeah. and they're very amusing. well written isn't it? yeah I exactly mean, it's, like, like, it's the thing
1: it's not a bad book by any stretch of no. imagination and like you know it's also seen as you say as a campus novel and a comic novel but also seen as part of the angry young man movement sort the idea of this reaction in literature to post-war Britain where the sort of uh, the very sort of musty dusty old-fashioned ways before the war give way to this new um social freedom so the portrayal of women in the book and young people in the book and, and, and whatnot is more modern than had been up to that point and it's quite good in, in those sort of terms I think you know it's an interesting piece about Britain at that time but it just seems a bit it was a bit throwaway I thought you know you
0: know so you spend a couple of weeks in these people's company and you just think what what was the point of it?
1: And that's the thing, like you know, as you say, in terms of it, in terms of it as a comic novel, like there's scenes that are clearly supposed to be sort of set pieces, like you know, particular bits that are supposed to elicit comedy. So there's a scene where he's putting together a forged letter to send to um, one of his housemates that he doesn't get on with. He fakes a phone call to annoy someone. So there's these moments where he's clearly acting like a clown and trying to get a rise out of people, but the letter and the phone call. Aren't great, and there's also a thing of I thing that really bothered me about them as, as sort of comedian devices was it's him pranking someone else but in the most indirect, removed way possible. So, you're supposed to sort of there's this whole thing of him writing that letter, and obviously, because it's set in Britain in the 50s, it's like three days later the guy gets the letter at the, at the breakfast table. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's just such an odd sort of remove, and like the, with the phone calls, there's nothing where he's really confronting anyone the, 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 and the scenes when he does confront people are usually quite funny and quite good as you say it's the bits where he's, he's in front of someone and, and noticing things and observing things yeah well he makes the cab it's quite amusing yeah. It? yeah but too much of it is sort of reliant on his and it's very much told from inside his head and so much of it is is that so there's not comedic moments in the sense of as I say scenes between people where there's actual resolution yeah it seems bizarre to me that someone would sit there laughing laughing the head off throughout or of reading it and going this is the greatest comic novel ever <laughs> I mean even the, you know the, it builds up to a scene at the end where he has to give a lecture on Mary England and gets drunk and you know there's comedy in that but even there I was like oh this is like Gussie Fink speech in uh, the P.G. Woodhouse novel that's much funnier than this that is genuinely um, hilarious well will we read a P.G. Woodhouse novel at some point I mean, yeah, you've obviously can. read loads of them all where did he go? Dunnish College. Yeah, we can definitely do that, you're right. And then we can sort of explain why it's better. I think Philip Larkin has a lot to answer for as well, because apparently he read the book in various drafts and encouraged Amos to play up the romantic angle with the girl. So, and it did feel like very much like a, a lot of the tropes were sort of rom-com. As you say, mm-hmm. it felt like sort of Bridget Jones. There's like, yeah, like running to the train station to yeah, all that business. And like that's it's just not not particularly funny, not particularly. I don't know, just not particularly good. And, not, and it struck me as well when I was reading that I was like, why would you get a poet to advise you on the structure of your, of your comic novel? I'm not saying Philip Locken can't write, <laughs> but I'm saying do you know what I mean. Don't don't you don't go to him and go, how do I make this novel funnier? Play up the romance. No, Philip, you're wrong about that because you're not an expert on librarian I suppose they just figured he knew about all the books was he? yeah the ending as well I thought was a bit clunky in terms of the structure like and this is uh, can you say spoilers for a book of 60 years or oh, let's say it anyway Yes yeah, spoilers of the That's spoiler um, so at the end obviously uh, the speech goes badly and Jim is definitely fired from the history department at which point this guy who's been floating around the book and not replaying a huge part of it goes it's alright I've got your dream job in London oh and my, um, that girl you fancy is my niece and I don't like the boyfriend she's got now so you're going to get the girl as well you're like this. Isn't good. This isn't well written, is it? It's not. Well, and, and again, you know, I will go to Woodhouse a lot because he's my favourite, joint uh, favourite novelist. Yeah, Vonnegut. Same. See, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, get angry man. But in, in these, <laughs> yeah, you're on the record. But in these sort of circles, thinking of comic novels, like you know, as 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 wonderful as Woodhouse is at character and at um, the use of of, of language, his his novels are so meticulously plotted. like there's he's like a, a looking at a, a beautiful piece of clockwork when you sort of examine what he does and with this it was just sort of like these things happen and then at the end he's all right and yeah. I was like I don't know if that oh, lucky Jim! <laughs> yeah and that's the thing you do feel like with the title you're sort of like I did, you know it's sort of King's James. you I did say uh, you know it was all there and you're like this isn't this isn't good enough right so that was a damning wasn't it <laughs> two points down <laughs> I read some quite interesting stuff around uh, Kingsley I don't know if you, yeah go on you, no I didn't did you not Okay. apparently he was um, devoted to the Queen and uh, such an extent he had erotic dreams about her <laughs> he said they usually began with uh, him attempting to pour the royal chest and her majesty protesting no no Kingsley we mustn't right That's, I've, I've never heard that before um, an interesting uh, quote from him on uh religion and God as well, after uh, the alteration he was interviewed by um, a Russian novelist who asked him if he was an atheist and Amos uh, replied, it's more that I hate him, which is quite a, you know, uh, an interesting take. Yeah, I mean Martin
0: Amos is quite a uh, fervent atheist, isn't he? Or is he just anti-Islam? Yeah,
1: I think it's more that yeah. than
0: any sort of reasoned theological stance. I tried to read a Martin Amos book once. Again, London, London Fields. I read about eighty pages, and I just couldn't go
1: on. Again, so many years back, I, I read loads of Martin Ames. I've really enjoyed it, but and I think it is good if you are sort of, you know, still slightly adolescent and misanthropic. Do you know what I mean, it's perfect for that. But I, I don't know. I don't know how, how how healthy it is to enjoy Martin Ames novels once you get to a certain... Jeremy, now it's just not... Uh, again, that sounds like quite a damning indictment like, yeah. of Martin Amos and his readers. Kingsley
0: Amos, Martin Amos, Will Self. And just
1: <laughs> yeah, the there down. is. But so the thing is, I would, gets... I would argue, if you, you could bracket like, 12, quite naturally, and I think all my my criticisms stand up. But I mean, I'm, I'm quite prepared to, um, you know, uh, argue the point if people do when they get in touch. Will Self wants to get in touch and tell me why. <laughs> Toby on wants to tell me why this is better than... If you want to come uh, on the show, Will Self, you're always welcome. <laughs> Towards the end of his life, Kingsley Amos became... Um, Unwell, a lot of it to do with um, with the lifestyle that he led in terms of drinking and smoking. Um, And his sons came up with an odd solution whereby his divorced wife and her new husband moved into the house with him, which they were happy to do because they were basically broke. Um, So it was his his ex-wife and her husband who was the impoverished Lord Kilmarnock. (laughs) So they moved in and looked after him because uh, apparently, previous to that, they were selling hot dogs from the side of their house on a motorway. So they were quite pleased to have someone actually. impoverished, lord. Exactly. <laughs> well, this is the thing apparently, um, uh, it you know, facilitated King James' life to such an extent that he could write one more novel, which was The Old Devils, which won the Booker Prize. So it was, had, had sort of practical it uses. I've not read it, actually. Um, but apparently, it also amused him endlessly that he was essentially waited on by a peer of the realm, which always. <laughs> <right? laughs> um that's not my favourite, um, King's Amish story. My favourite King's Amy story was originally told to me by Jim Hall, friend of the show. fucking um, Jim Hall. <laughs> um, I'm a lucky um, Jim. I don't know if, has he ever told you this story? Don't know. Christopher Hitchens, Martin Amos and King's Day Amis go to the cinema? And Chris Hitchens tells a story, who says, naturally you couldn't go to anything French or Japanese or Polish. So they end up going to see Beverly Hills Cop. And sit through it, and apparently King's Amis is cracking up through the entire film, just sort of like completely losing it at every single scene. And Chris Hitchens and my name is just assuming that he was messing about, and it was all just sort of put upon him. He was actually really upset to be taken to this modern American comedy. Um, and they got outside, and they were like, How? was that right? And uh, King's Amis declared it an absolutely flawless masterpiece. All right. You go, Kingsley Amis. That, I don't know if they used it. You'd use that on the post. Yeah, wouldn't would wouldn't you? Kingsley Amis, absolutely <laughs> flawless masterpiece. I'd argue that given some of Kingsley Amos's public or and private statements in terms of letters he wrote to Philip Larkin in particular about um, various groups, particularly Jewish people, that if we had to sort of place this show in any sort of context within a larger work, you could you could really add it to the Ten were South Londoners that we did. I mean both oh, of these guys. Couple of villains. Yeah, not particularly well, nice people. So
0: okay, so he was an anti Semite, yeah. Yeah. What about Philip Larkin? The what was what, what's his deal? What was he what was he writing
1: back? I oh, don't say that, Kingsley. The... No, no, uh, they were both terrible in terms of things they wrote to one another and the views that they held. Oh. Yeah. Do you like Philip Larkin? Uh, I've not really read a lot of his stuff. I don't think he's brilliant at uh, guiding people in the right direction. That's as far as I'm prepared uh, to go. I don't, yeah, and uh, apparently deeply unpleasant um, as a human. But you know, it's one of the things that you know you, you talk about from time to time, separating the work from the artist. Yeah, but. right, right. What's Pidgey Woodhouse like? Um, um, Diamond Geezer. Well, there there was a lot of controversy about him, and we should probably save it for any show about Pidgey Woodhouse. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, they're, they're, he's um. A controversial figure in some circles, but I'll obviously defend it. Yeah. But I think using logic rather than just my own uh, yeah. the feelings that live in my heart. So that brings us on to
0: our other book, a non-fiction piece, "Mad Frank" uh, by the autobiography of Frankie Fraser.
1: <laughs> you went a bit very emotional. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I mean, arguably the Crays are the only kind of household name villains, in from London? Kind of from that era, really. Yeah. You know, I mean, you put your likes of, like, I don't know, Dave Courtney or whatever. It's a different era, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it's a different era. I mean, you'd say, we'd say the Richardsons as well, but that's yeah, exactly because yeah. of our because, own yeah, geographical exactly. things. Yeah. Um,
0: but Frankie Fraser's in that second tier of people that, you know, he got. The book is put out, I can't remember who published What's it, it? <laughs> but it's a big name, isn't it? Is it oh, yeah. It's Hodder, yeah.
1: Hodder? Hodder, yeah, yeah. yeah. And. Uh, I think part of that is branding, though, isn't it? Like think? mad Frankie Fraser. It just it, yeah, just, right, it yeah. just scans so well, doesn't it? It just flows completely. Yeah. Um so
0: whilst not whilst many listeners won't have heard of him, I mean I was well aware of him growing up, not least because for some reason my dad says hello to him in the street. Right. He I mean he doesn't know him, he's but you see him he will be like, What Frank? And Frankie Fraser's like, hello. You know, I've seen him, I've been in La Luna before in Warburg, you in know, the Italian restaurant, yeah, T yeah. D Sports. And he's been in there having dinner. Yeah, and uh, I've seen him in the camp as well. So, I mean, he's in a home now. We'll get on to we'll get on to what he's. Up but to also, me. you know,
1: uh, more recently, uh, well, not more recently, uh, after coming out of prison until quite recently, he was a bit of a sort of media figure as well. He's like up yeah. like, on shooting stars and stuff. Yeah,
0: well, this is what I mean. I mean, you have got the, the kind of craze in a league of their own, but then he's, I mean, he's lived long enough as well, hasn't he? Yeah. for it to kind of be ironic that he used to, you know.
1: I think the train robbers as well. Particularly Buster Edwards. You yeah, know, right. Sort
0: of. Ronnie Biggs. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Right, so the book is his life story, obviously. It talks about growing up
1: in Waterloo and then on to a life of crime. Um, mentions his um, Native American ancestry as well, which... Yeah, throw that in, it? Yeah, but it's just... I'll um... be mentioning my Native American ancestry in my book, I? <laughs> I I watched um, uh, a sort of documentary about him and it had um, Charlie Richardson's wife on there. And uh, she talks about Frankie Fraser's Native American ancestry, um, where she's like, um, Yeah, you know, he confirmed it is, but we always had our suspicions. His sister looked like a squaw. <laughs> <laughs> and then you look at him, he looks like a totem pole. <laughs> and it showed a, a picture of him uh, in profile just to show what she was talking about. A very
0: short totem
1: pole. <laughs> I think I had this
0: idea of him as more of a big player, really. Like you say, Brandon, kind of. Mm. It's kind of he's made himself into a kind of like uh, like a huge figure, but you know he spent you know when you think oh what, where did he do his South London stuff? Well, it was mostly Wandsworth prison, right? <laughs> Occasionally, Brixton. He would. Uh... I mean, he
1: was in prison for forty two years altogether. Yeah, and that's out of about forty five. And that's the an interesting thing is, that, I mean, that is remarkable and does give you an angle from which to work from in terms of building up an idea about a person but does similarly indicate, and something you do sort of make clear in the book, he wasn't necessarily the best at crime. He no, get caught no, quite a clearly.
0: Lot. Yeah, clearly. I mean, it's, this is not... only One of those stretches is 20 years. Yeah. But the rest of them is like three years and a year and stuff. Uh, I mean, the book is basically... Um, you know, he starts off... he grows up in Waterloo. Um, I mean, it was, a, it was a poverty, wasn't it? Yeah, you know, yeah. He's talking about, like feeding rats to terriers and stuff and yeah, like organizing yeah. street fights for entertainment and there's a bit where he talks about uh his head got run over by a lorry yeah and he was a little kid chasing like cigarette cards and uh but then yeah it gets to the war and he's like a teenager i suppose is he yeah and seventeen, eighteen. it was quite amusing almost because you know this whole like what did you do in the war granddad and oh yeah, I just I was just robbing stuff. He's like you know, his face is like, Yeah, the war was great, you know, yeah. we just, you know, nicking this, nicking that. Um and then yeah, and that's the story of his life, is it? He he's
1: he has a, he does a crime, he goes to prison, he comes out and just does more crimes and goes the book, back. In terms of the actual text, is largely just a list of people, places and jobs in it. He's sort of like he'll sort of go, And then this guy mm. in Guildford and we did this and yeah. this guy he died of a heart attack yeah and it's just very I mean I got frustrated with the book quite early on because of that but it also bothered me that I had a real feeling that it, this could have been a good book because as you say he's very good one of the things that I think the book gets spot on is credit to James Morton who's, who's ghosted it and sort of written it alongside him but his voice definitely comes across mm. in, in the style of the book they're very sort of uh, clear about using his own phrasing on I mean, yeah. which does give it a real sort of vividness. Um, and and as you say, in terms of the stories he tells and the things he's got incredible recall or you know he's chosen to remember me in his own way. But it does remember a lot of sort of minutia and, and little details that could have painted a really sort of vivid portrait of, as you say, this this really interesting time, his exploits during during the war. And and you know, again echoing a similar point too... when we're talking about Lucky Jim... This new world after the war, post-war Britain, and the sort of social changes that are taking place. But the details you tend to get are like, here's how made a kosh. These are the sort of uh, impromptu uh, shields that the guards would use in prison rites. So he does remember mm. things and remembers small details, but it's just things where you go, oh, i would be interested to remember things about yeah. life and society generally. I think another thing were
0: these kind of uh, mediocre biographies, or autobiographies, I should say. A bit like Ginger Baker's book. Where everything moves at exactly the same pace, yeah, yeah, and like there's the same amount of detail for every single bit, and like there's no dwelling on these on the minutia because they're like, oh no, I have to move on to the next record, or oh, I have to move on to you know the next year or whatever, the next prison sentence. So there was, there's a bit towards the end of the book where he's talking about having this navy jumper, <laughs> and he has it for 15 years. Like they they apparently gave out because you don't always know what to believe of him. Oh,
1: there's that as well.
0: But they they uh, the prison guards at some prison or other give out these uh navy sweatshirts and then like apparently the guards get jealous so they recall most of the people and give his back and he moves to another prison and then they can't get it back off him whatever and he's talking about wearing it when it's got holes in and like getting one over on on the, uh, yeah, on the guards. Exactly. He's, um, he's wearing slippers as well and he's only wearing slippers and i thought that was quite good that little bit like it was quite uh quite an interesting little uh detail yeah, detail, yeah, exactly. yeah. But there's just not enough of it, really. It's all just like then I've done this, and then I've done this, and then. Well, I think was... in
1: terms of your criticism about the pacing, you're absolutely right because I was I couldn't get over the fact that the 20 year stretch is given maybe a page or two pages more than like a mm. two year stretch. He just sort of just covers all yeah, of it. Yeah,
0: he goes into he goes in prison.
1: What what, what is it? Like mid 60s,
0: isn't it? I mean, he he, he comes across um, James Earl Ray who killed Martin. Yeah, Lifer- yeah. Uh, Martin Luther King. Michael Luther King, sorry. yeah, sorry. we killed Michael Luther King um, in, was it Brixton or one of the two? We talked about it in the prison episode. Yeah. Um, and then he comes out of prison and it's like the mid-80s. And it's like, you know, you change has bothered some people to change in
1: coinage, but not me. It's like, that's it, isn't yeah. it? And he makes it very clear as well. He didn't have home visits. He didn't have a great deal of contact with the outside world. But he just completely brushes off any observations he's got about the Brittany finds as opposed to the Brittany Do you think maybe, Steve, is because he is such a simple man? Well, he makes it clear early on. He says, you know, prison never bothered me. I was never... People talk about having to, like, reacclimatise me outside and he's like, I'll just immediately do it. And I think it is just the fact that, he, yeah, he just wasn't bothered about these things. I did think as well, in terms of, of content, I thought the book was brilliant in terms of highlighting the institutional barbarism of prisons definitely, in the middle yeah, of the 20th yeah. century. He tells incredible stories. And as I say, you no, know, but you kind of de- things may have been embellished, <laughs> yeah, but, but do, uh, the and the cat were realities. There's a lot of it in there. He tells an incredible story about being put in a straitjacket at one point, point. they deliberately put him in a straitjacket that's too big, and then stuffed the rest of the space with soaking wet blankets so that he's pinned to the floor under his own weight for like 12 to 14 hours and it, as I say that's written particularly well and, and, and vividly I mean you just think more things like that if they'd chosen to make it more observational but the thing is you know, the thi- you know for all our criticisms and, and suggestions that's not what a book should be is, it? This is that's not what people who are buying this book are after yeah. they want a list of people and jobs and places and that's what, exactly what you get and in terms of, it, of doing that I think James Morton has done a tremendous job I mean the footnotes are fantastic in terms of he'll rather than cut across the text, he just lets uh, Fraser have his, his say in the text, but at the bottom will sort of take a reference to a particular person or place or, or, or case and, and give it, uh, and, and that's where the sort of difference in, in tone and voice takes over, give a, a very sort of academic, dry, removed, taken at the bottom. So I, I thought, you mm. know, yeah, I agree, it's yeah. not... He's done
0: loads of those books, and he's James Moore. Oh, absolutely,
1: it's exactly yeah, what he's built to do. I think
0: there's a kind of... He's got a bit... Some maybe delusions of grandeur at points, hasn't he? There's one bit where he says that he was the first man to put a stocking on his face in a robbery. Yeah. Like, yeah. he can't possibly believe that to me. <laughs> And, like... Yeah, there's a bit where, on the morning of Derek Bentley's hanging, like, he jumps on the executioner, like, to try yeah, to sure. save Save him. Yeah. And even, like, when he talks about getting shot in 1989... Oh, sorry, spoiler... Like you said, it was definitely the undercover police because of this book, you know. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, one thing that definitely. It definitely. The book doesn't make the life seem glamorous, does it? No. And no, I don't think is. that's necessarily, it's necessarily even intentional. Like, there's a few bits where he talks about, like, meeting Edith Piaf, and uh, he meets Rolling Stones, like, the nicest was Brian Jones, the one who died in the swimming pool. <laughs> <laughs> but, like. And he talks about uh, that. Um, is it Mr. Smith's that's at Catford? Yeah. Where you've yeah. the chorus girls coming from the Astor. But you what you get out of it is that it just is such a waste of a life. There's a bit where he talks about uh, his son's nine, he sees his son when he's nine, and then he goes to prison for twenty years and says his son when he's twenty eight. Yeah, yeah. It's just such a waste, isn't it? And he just he's got no regrets about anything he just it comes across like I don't know I just expected there would be these long runs of like oh we we're pulling in so much money yeah but he's just he never gets any higher than the bottom of the totem pole does he
1: I mean he, and the other thing as well is he makes it clear that he didn't particularly uh, save or invest so you know when he came out of prison they did like benefits for him yeah. essentially to sort of give him a bit of bit of cash to run around with But
0: you know I'm not a dog lover Steve I was quite alarmed to read you know because the country we're in you know people go mad over dogs don't they and he killed two of them in the book yeah they? yeah. I mean there's one where he he goes to this the governor of the prison like once he's got out the governor gave him a hard time in some way and no doubt it would have been you know he was su- he suffered cruelty from uh, prison officers or whatever um, so he ends up he goes and hangs this governor from a tree outside his house And he hangs the governor's dog as well. The branch that the governor's hanging from breaks and he lives. Apparently every time he sees him after that, he's got his head hung to the side. Um, But yeah, he talks about the dog. He goes, it barked a bit and tried to get away, but I caught it. I should think it died, to be honest. I like dogs. And then later in the book, he goes, uh, I don't know what he's doing. He's robbed somewhere or something. As we left, an Alsatian dog went for me and I cut his throat. Now, I like dogs but I had to do it I mean twice he talks about liking dogs after killing them man. <laughs> I don't think he likes it that much
1: and, and this is an interesting counterpoint isn't it you know, about sort of attitude like you don't like dogs and you kill none <laughs> no, so
0: scared to go to toe to toe
1: <laughs> he mentions the train in the book from time to time the great train robbery, and I thought we could have taken his opportunity to sort of look at that a little bit as a South London crime because in a similar way to uh, you know as, as if you're framing this episode, if we're going to be talking about people like King Amis or Frankie Frazier or the great train robbers, it's not going to be a blue black episode. It's not going to be a Hall of Fame episode. It's not going to be us. All <laughs> okay, I'll tell you what was great: the fact that loads of the great train robbers all came from Battersea. And <laughs> but so, but I thought it could be something worth sort of just chatting about. Uh, like, and while while just sort of researching around it, I've read a couple of incredible things I'd never heard before um, in relation to um, the Great Train Robbers. Bruce Reynolds, the de facto leader of the game, um, There's a son called Nick. Do you know about this? Nick Reynolds. He's not the guy who robbed the bank, is he? No, he's the guy from Alabama Free. Oh, right. A member of Alabama Free. Brixton. Uh, yeah. His dad was a uh, grand general. Having said that, my mum worked with a girl whose dad was another one, Rachel As well, There's quite a few
0: of them there, isn't there? Yeah, there were plenty of them. Well, I'm sure we talked about it on a previous episode. I think it would have been prisons or possibly Waterloo when we would have been talking about Buster Edwards who used to sell flowers at Waterloo. Phil Collins played him, didn't he? His that's film, right.
1: Yeah. Do you know the Dexter Fletcher story? Oh, you've told this in the podcast before. Have right? I?
0: But tell me again, Steve.
1: Because I can't remember it. But I, I, that can't be true because <laughs> I only—I <laughs> read, I read about it and I was like, that's incredible. <laughs> Apparently, uh, when Buster Edwards had his flowers thought at Waterloo, um, Dexter Fletcher ran past and yeah. grabbed. I've—I've I've told this story before. <laughs> yeah. Why did it in your was about yesterday? <laughs> but tell it again because I can't remember what it is. Okay. So Dexter Fletcher grabbed a couple of bunches of flowers and ran off. But unfortunately for him, Buster Edwards had seen the Rachel Papers a couple of days before. So he called the police and That's said... That's the Martin Amos book, isn't it? it, is a, it yeah. yeah, it's all, it's all intertwined. Um, he rang the police and went, the kid out of the Rachel Papers nicked uh, some flowers from the stall. So they pick up the ex he's like, yeah, I just didn't have any money. I had to get some flowers for Julia Sawala. Wow. Remarkable, isn't it?
0: Another weird link between the two books is they've both got someone in it called Urca <laughs> you notice that <laughs> I didn't notice that no. i never thought it's not a common name was it U-R-Q-U-H-A-R-T and it, it appears in both books
1: yeah no um, um, House of Cards as well the British uh, one France, oh, no. oh, so it's not oh, a long yeah. it, well it is an uncommon name. <laughs> yeah <it's> very clear. <laughs> but yeah you're right isn't it it's not <laughs> the sort of thing if you're picking two books at random you expect that surname to turn up in both so
0: this book is 20 years old isn't it yeah but so since then, as I said, you know, he spent most of his time at La Luna having dinner. He was in a care home now, apparently. He's in a care yeah, home? Yeah, he got an Asbo, didn't he? Yeah, at the age of 89 yeah. for some fracas
1: car at the care home. Someone, uh, Alfred, was sitting in his chair. He likes that chair. Is that what it was? The window. Yeah. So he just sort of threatened to kill the guy. But he, he, the care home apparently called the police. And then when the police spoke to Alfred, he was like, nah, it never happened. And uh, Frank Fred, Fred was like, he's good. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah! <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's literally all he cares about in another person is they don't read on <laughs> We did a book club episode once before where we read The Ballad of Peckham Rye by Muriel Spark and Who Is Olive Morris, a non-fiction book about an activist in Brixton, which is available in Lambeth Libraries if you can't find it elsewhere. So if you go to com, click Episodes, you'll be able to uh, listen to that and 130 others. Thank you.